Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The Sports Complex, afternoons 5 to 7 on The Horn. Back on the Sports Complex, hour two here on The Horn. Going to get into some Mike McCarthy sound, talk a little Dallas Cowboys. We get some time. We'll play the Tavondre Sweat, talking to the media. A little Longhorn action for you as well. We'll give you an MLB update. There was a game played earlier today that has affected the AOS standings. And we'll talk about number eight on the Horn Top 20 Countdown USC to get you ready for their game this weekend because USC plays football in just a few short days. We're also taking your text messages. 512-337-3776. 512-337-3776 is the Specs text line and how you can join the conversation. Already got some good texts about Terry Funk, Junkyard Dog in there. I, I've been telling you, who, if you ever watch wrestling, was there the guy that kind of, they were like, oh, no, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wrestle him. I like, you know, most of me go, okay, I could work it. Like Hulk Hogan never scared me. And I know even when he's, he was a face or beggar, but there was, was there ever that guy like Terry Funk could actually scare you because Terry Funk scared actual wrestlers because he would stick a brain. He would light a branding on iron on fire and chase people around the ring with it. So there, there was some actual craziness to Terry Funk, or you may just know him from Roadhouse. You may just know him as one of the. The, the goons from Roadhouse. He was also in that. Uh, but you can join the conversation. 512-337-3776. Also asking, what is the best nickname on the Longhorns this year? Because Tavondre Sweat was talking about some nicknames on the D-line. Let's get into some Mike McCarthy sound, though. First, we're going to talk about a little bit about the Cowboys. As we get ready moving forward in preseason as he spoke to the media yesterday or today. I'm not sure which day it was. Uh, I saw I got this audio this morning. Uh, Mike McCarthy, though, was asked about Deuce Vaughn. His role as he is stepped into being a, you know, he had that week one that was amazing. Week two is not as great, but people still feel there's a way. He's talked about him in different personnel groups. There's the talk about him in the Cavante Turpin, Deuce Vaughn, little guy lineup, which I love, which we got to, I mean, look, we know if we're going to call it a package, it has to be the short package, the small package. It's a small package, which is the best nick, best nickname, the small package. But I, I think that if, if we can get a lineup, it's interesting with those two guys, though, because it is just two guys in that are very elusive and great in space. And it's hard to wrap up both of them. If you do try and overcompensate for the two of them, does it leave a CeeDee Lamb or a Brandon Cooks or even a, a Ferguson or somebody like that wide open and then go get 20 yards? So that's an interesting lineup. Here's Mike McCarthy talking about Deuce Vaughn's role as the preseason rolls on. I mean, exactly how you know we want to use you know our players, including Deuce. I mean, that's that's really you know what what this week will give us. But I, I tell you, I mean, he's he's done a, a really nice job 
really just operating in the flow of the installs. You know, it isn't like we had a separate game plan for him uh, against Jacksonville or Seattle. So, and, and, and you know, and we'll take the same approach once we get to the end of the week. You know, as far as how we're going to play the Raiders, but no, I think he's done an outstanding job. And it's just like anything, and it's 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 a part of the beauty of these preseason games. You give these young guys an opportunity, you see, you see what they do, and he's he's obviously played very big with his opportunities. That's Mike McCarthy on Deuce Vaughn. Playing big in his opportunities, he didn't as well as big week two in preseason. We'll see what he does in week three. I think he'll have a bounce back, have a good game. Because that running back depth chart has to be filled out by the end of this week or after the game. And he understands, I'd prefer to be on the depth chart more than just special teams. Now, he he will make the roster because he is a rookie, because he can play on special teams as well. Uh, he'll probably be a punt returner or a kick returner along with Kevontae Turpin taking those roles. So he'll make the roster most likely, you know, and because people want to see him in certain packages, the small package with him and Kevontae Turpin, people want to see that. So I think he'll make the rosters at least early on in the season. But you have Malik Davis and Rico Doddle. They're probably not going to carry four. Ronald Jones comes off suspension in week two. Do they cut him before he even gets off suspension? Or does he come in and knock somebody else off? Even though, I mean, we'll see if he plays. So it's to see Deuce Vaughn, and can he be the number two? Does Deuce Vaughn basically earn himself a position on this this team to be get five to ten carries or possession or balls put in his hands? Five to ten. Does he get five to ten a game, or is he an under five guy? Is and we know, I know this is not another short joke, but is he an under five? You know, where they kind of run out a couple plays for him, he gets in on. You know, he's only in on five to ten plays in a game. That'll be the question for Deuce Vaughn. Mike McCarthy also talked about Luke, Luke Schoonmaker and what his progress has been, even with uh, Ferguson kind of setting himself apart as the number one tight end in Dallas. There is still questions where you would like to have other tight ends step up to the role uh, because you're going to need for pass blocking. We know that Tony Pollard is not the best pass blocker, we know that Malik Davis and Rico Dottle are not great in pass pro. They're a little bit better, but the pass pro on them is different because if you're not really running the ball with Rico Dottle or Malik Davis, their pass pro is going to suffer because guys are going to come right at them knowing they're in there. You can't run play action as well, and Dak Prescott loves play action. So you'd like to have some other running backs in there, even if it is a Deuce Vaughn who can't pass pro exactly the way you'd prefer, or a Tony Pollard who is probably going to go out on more routes. You may want to run another tight end out there and so Luke Schoonmaker is important as someone is blocking as much as anything else he can do on the field. Here's Mike McCarthy on Luke Schoonmaker. Uh, you know, Luke, uh, boy, just re- real excited about what he's done. Just, you know, because obviously he didn't have any work in the spring and, and, you know, missed the beginning of training camp. But, boy, he's done a really nice job, you know, with his play time in both Jacksonville and Seattle. So uh, excited about him to continue. Very instinctive, very aware. Football nat- comes natural to him. You can tell he's played. He's played a lot of ball. Uh, he's played multiple positions, been in a pro system. Um, so uh, he, he has a really good feel for the game. So he just, you know, he just like everybody, you know, it's, you know, we, we can't get enough work in the, you know, in the pass pro and the, and the, and the run blocking part of it just, you know, because you just don't have as many reps as, as you probably, we all would need. But uh, he's, he, those are the little things that he needs. But um, I, I think he's done an excellent job for, you know, the limited number of opportunities had. So that seems more of I don't know how much Loon Schoomaker is going to play on this in this early season. He's done well. 
I, you know, as a blocking tight end, I could see him getting a little bit more reps as somebody to come in, but I'm not sure he is going to be used too much as a receiver. One of the big pieces of preseason standouts, one of the bigger preseason standouts for the Dallas Cowboys has been Jalen Tolbert. Uh, a lot of people have seen him in camp, seen him in a couple practices, seen what he can do. Really feel that Jalen Tolbert has finally taken the step. We know he had injuries early on. He kind of got stuck where his rookie season he had roles that he was kind of shoved into some things that he wasn't necessarily ready to handle when they got rid of Amari Cooper and they were expecting him to step right in his rookie season and be a top guy. His second season doesn't do as much. So Jalen Tolbert's progress is something that has been talked about a lot because they were expecting a lot out of him, but it has not always come through. Here's Mike McCarthy on Tolbert's progress and if he expected to see the leap that Tolbert had. Yeah, definitely. I think it's I think it's almost every year. I mean, his is significant. I, I agree with you. Um, but part of his significance was you know his limited opportunity. So you know some of it wasn't you know really in his control. If you go back to the you know if you go back to the training camp last year, you know he was held off of special teams because we were anticipating him uh, to do some other things, and he had a hamstring injury. So not not only did the hamstring get him you know, put them behind, but then the lack of special teams opportunities. And then when you get down to the 53 to the 48 transition that you go through every week, special teams factors. So, you know, so, so part of that was, you know, the opportunities wasn't there, but he's playing with a lot more confidence. He's stronger. I mean, he was, he was definitely one of the guys that was in the weight room, you know, day one and um, stayed here the whole time. So uh, I, I really liked the way he played against Seattle. I thought he took a step, um, you know, and he's, 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 you know, I hope, hope to give him more opportunities this week. More opportunities for Jalen Tolbert. Can he step up? And in reality, for this wide receiver core, you know Brandon Cooks, you know what CeeDee Lamb can do. Outside of that, there isn't a Dalton Schultz, so we expect Ferguson to step up. Dal- uh, Dak Prescott's raved about him. He hasn't played a lot in preseason, so you expect he's going to be part of that starter group. But who's that number three? Michael Gallup was the guy who's supposed to be. He wasn't playing well last year he wasn't playing even close to being a number two last year so can Jalen Tolbert step over and become that number three and a bigger question Brandon Cooks free agency is looming do they move on and do the Amari Cooper thing again and say well we don't need we are going to play CeeDee Lamb we're not going to keep two wide receivers where we don't care and whether we're keeping Dak or not or whatever we're doing we're not going to pay two wide receivers top money so is Tolbert going to be able to step into that 2-3 role in a year and get there? And the expectations for Jalen Tolbert are somewhat skewed, but it also shows one of the problems that Jerry Jones in this Dallas, this Dallas front office has had for years. Here's Mike McCarthy on the expect- what they're expecting from Jalen Tolbert. Well, we were counting on it. I mean, you know, we were never down on JT, so this is not like, you know, this is no surprise. I mean, I, I think it was, you know, and I, I think you go back a little bit to your question earlier about the draft picks. You know, yes, I mean, you know, the, when they come in the door, um, you know, the expectation. So you do try to give them opportunities. Things happen. You know, things happen, and um, and, and maybe it doesn't go as quickly as you'd like. So 
Um, you know, I mean, I'm more I'm more satisfied for him because I know how much pressure he puts on himself and how important it is to him. And I go back to last year as a rookie. I mean, I had an opportunity to, to meet with JT in, you know, in private meetings on, on a Sunday night, two back-to-back weeks. And, if you know, so I've seen his playbook. I've, I've seen the detail that he puts into this too. But, you know, but it's all part of the development. Everybody has a little different starting line. You know, they all, co- all come in here with the same starting line. I think last year he was trying to so hard to do it right by the leather of the law and by the way it was drawn and so forth. Now he's playing football. You know, he's not just running the lines. You know, he's he's has full understanding, his instincts, awareness, and all that. And, it, and it's you know, uh, it's a credit to him, but it's it's a credit to all the extra time these guys play together. I can't tell you how proud I am of, of, of our players that have five weeks that were away from each other, how much time they spent together. That's huge. You can't you can't be successful in the league without it. I mean that's that's the nature of how you train a football team today. So and he, you know, and he is front of the line. You know, he hasn't missed a workout. So Jalen Tolbert, you see all the things that he's progressing properly. He's doing everything right. But you see on the back end of this of we're expecting Jalen Tolbert to be there. We're expecting that. We were expecting Michael Gallup to be the guy next last year. We're expecting Michael Gallup to be the number two. We're expecting Tony Pollard to be able to shoulder 35 carries a game. We're expecting Dak Prescott to improve once again. We're expecting all those. And I think there's this thing in the front office of the Cowboys where Jerry Jones is such a good salesman and such and so good at selling the Kool-Aid to his own team that they sometimes get caught up in the fact that they should know better. And you can sell that to us. You can tell us Jalen Tolbert is supposed to be the guy, but you can't not have a backup plan at wide receiver for when Michael Gallup doesn't come back healthy. Like last season, you can't have a plan. You can't not have a plan if Dak Prescott doesn't turn it around this season. You can't not have a plan for certain things that are 50-50 shots in the NFL. And some of these other teams that are doing much better year to year and continuing at a higher level, they have contingency plans. They base things in reality, and they say, okay, what are the variables that we know are our best thing? And that is one thing Dallas is doing well. They realize the defense is where they've drafted well, they've built well, they have a really good coach in right now. So you keep Micah Parsons, you keep Trayvon Diggs, you add Stephon Gilmore, you build up that defense, you pay the guys Dan Quinn needs because we know this is a strength we have, we need to build on this. But the offensive side of the ball, the fact you don't have another running back because you are expecting Rico Doddle and Malik Davis to take a step forward is just, it's just a bad way of running a football team when you saw how cheap some other running backs were. And I know you don't want to have the hard conversation with a guy like Rico Dollar and Malik Davis, who you like, but you signed Ronald Jones. You're going to have the awkward conversation that you signed him, and I don't think he's ever going to see – he's never going to wear the Cowboys helmet for more than a preseason game. And if he does, how bad will make Rico Dottle and Malik Davis? And then this goes into the expecting things, but then you don't nurture. And this is what Mike McCarthy had to say – and this was kind of a roundabout question asked about Mozzie Smith because they want to see, well, if is Mozzie going to play? What's your viewpoint on how you kind of take care of your first-round picks and your, your commodities that you spent a lot for? Because you're not trading these picks. We know Jerry Jones doesn't want to trade them. He doesn't want to pay for someone else. But he loves signing first-round picks that, that fail somewhere else. He loves them. He knows how much first-round pick is worth, which is why I didn't quite understand why Mike McCarthy had this to say about what he thinks about first-round picks and how you deal with them as they come onto the team. Well, I think like everything in this league, I mean, you, you have to have, 
you got to have a program. Your program has resources. You have internal resources, external resources, um, and then you know you, you really got to you know understand each and every player. I mean, and, and how they're wired and, and what they need. You know, um, and just like anything in life, there's a difference between need and wants. So um, I think we do a really good job of of giving everybody uh, what they you know what they want as far as the basics of how we operate. But yeah, I, I, I'm just, I've always just believed being very practical. I understand, you know, in this, in this league, like we all know the stress that goes with a first round pick and, you know, versus a third round pick and so forth. But, you know, to me, the, the draft selection's always just been the starting line. And that's, that's all it really is. Um, because, you know, once they, once they get going, you know, yeah, the draft picks do get to stand in front of the line. They do maybe get the first opportunity, and you're going to give them more opportunities because of the financial investment you already have in them. I mean, that's common sense business, common sense practice in this league. But at the end of the day, we're playing the game of football, and the development of each individual is critical. Um, and but you know how they fit in with the group too. So uh, don't don't really spend a whole lot of time on it. You know, past the the initial introduction phase, because you know everybody's just trying to be better every day, and that's really the clarity of the expectation. So, if you don't spend more time with your first round picks that you are putting, you're putting all this investment into, that you have put something that you clearly value top picks in, that you feel is a better player than everyone else that you're taking that draft. You feel this guy is more potential, is either going to be better right away or have more potential. And you are not willing more than the introductory, hey, will you get an extra hat because you're a first-round pick. If you're not willing to spend the extra time and money with the people you believe can be game-changers for you, then I don't think you're valuing the first-round pick the way you need to. I don't feel like you're valuing the guys who you need to value to build. Yes, you want everyone to progress, but I don't really care if the fifth-string wide receiver progresses at the same rate as I need my first-round pick. Because I need my first-round pick to be a starter for me for at least four or five years for that pick to matter. Whether that's signing a contract or whatever I can do, I need four or five years minimum out of a first-round pick starting at a high level for that pick to not be a bust. And you know what I need for the undrafted free agent? If he plays well, great. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. Now, you want to improve everybody. I agree with that. It's silly to say you only focus on one. But to have all the resources you have and then to say – well, you know, we just kind of throw them in with everybody, and we hope they, we hope that they, you know, feel okay with that. Even though they've been catered after since they were in high school, and they were the best player in high school, and they went to, you know, they got recruited by everybody, and then they went to college, and people still want them. And there's a transfer portal, so they're still being catered to, and they're still being taught because they, they, you need them to win. And their their whole life is built on this, and this, and they respond well to positive. Uh, criticism. They respond. They respond well to to more positivity heaped on top of them, and then we throw them in a pile and we go figure it out. I know you're 23 and he's 30, and you're fighting for the same spot, but I'm sure you'll help each other out and you'll be family. You have to help you out your first round picks. And I get you don't want to say, well, you know, Mozzie Smith. We thought he'd be a little bit more ready, but that's why we paid Hankins. So he's probably not going to see a ton of the field unless he improves during the season. You don't want to say that because you don't want to put him down. But it, just everything Mike McCarthy says kind of goes into this middle ground, gray sludge of nothing. Uh, well, you know, we don't like to do this because uh, whatever. Like, here's Mike McCarthy talking about why he doesn't play his veterans. Here's Mike McCarthy when he talked to media saying why I, you know, why I choose not to play my veterans in preseason. 
Well, I, I've lost players. I, you know, I lost my starting left tackle in the family night scrimmage. You know, so I, I know what that looks like uh, back in 2012. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, there, there's, it's 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 really, you know, risk assessment. I mean, there's there's pros and cons of playing them. There's you know, there's pros and cons of not playing them. There's there's pros and cons of practicing against another team. There's pros and cons of not. So I mean, just understanding how it all fits together. But I think the other part of it is, where are you as a team? What are you trying to get done? Do you have a veteran group you believe in? You know, this is this is year three for a lot of a lot of our group. So you know that. Um, you know, we're further along clearly on defense than, than we've been. So, I mean, so I have great confidence in, in, in that part of it. You know, offensively, um, you know, my only focal, focal point from as I move forward is, is to get the, the starting offensive line together. You know, tomorrow's team practice will be the first time we'll have the five starters in a team period. So just staying in tune with that. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I think we're all product of our experiences, and, and I've seen it work both ways. Um, but, you know, I, I think the risk assessment is, and maybe, hey, maybe you get, when you get older, you, you do get a little more conservative. I, I, I don't know that. But, uh, you know, and I, I just think, you know, common sense needs to prevail. But there's, I think you got 32 teams and not everybody does it exactly the same way. So um, that's really the answer to it. And, but I just, I just always, you know, where's my team at? Now, if we were just all brand new young, if I was back in 2006, 2007, We'd, we we would we would play in all three games. You know, we'd play 25 in the first game, play the first half in the second half game, and played into the third quarter in the third game. So I, I I've done that format. You know, so uh, but this this format works for us. Does it work for you, Mike? Yeah, I mean, you still haven't gone over. Not, I'm not going to say it doesn't work. You win 12 games, whatever. But it's, is it is it really saving you for the playoffs? Is that what's going to happen? That that we're talking in August and them not playing two series in August is going to make them perfectly healthy later in the season. That's that's nonsense. The reality is, you want to say these are veterans. They're not. Tony Pollard's not a veteran player. I know he's got his contract up, but the guy's never carried a team as a, as a every down back. You want to say Dak Prescott's there, but we know Dak Prescott was throwing picks last year. He's got a new playbook, a new play caller. You have, there's a lot of new things in this offense. You don't have a tight end that has played any reps at tight end for the Cowboys, have any chemistry. And you're going to do all this on the fly, hoping that if you kind of push back and you don't start your season till a little bit later on, then, then well, we'll get hot at the right time. Because that's all you're trying to do is you're trying to figure out the way to be hot, hot at the right time. But the reality is you don't know how to get them hot because they, the Cowboys are never really that smoke. They're not that hot of a team ever. They just play consistent, okay football. And then, you know, guy gets hurt and then they play okay. And then this guy gets hot over here and he gets hot. But they're never a team that's really streaking I don't remember the Cowboys at any point going, they're unbeatable right now. The defense gets there, but the offense doesn't. If Mike McCarthy just answered every single question with, well, it could work, it couldn't work, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm just going to take a shot at it, and my analytics people told me this, so I'm going to go with it. If he said that, I believe him more. But if you keep saying, well, you know, I would have done it this way. I did it before. You know when I went to Super Bowl? I played him. That's when I did it. But now I'm smarter. Now I'm smarter than, than when I won a Super Bowl. I, I just, and I get you've lost players. That's a, a terrible excuse. Uh, we've lost people in preseason, so we shouldn't play. So do you not practice in camp? Do you just wait and then regular season you hope it doesn't work? I, all of these are just bad excuses of somebody who sounds like he's just trying to keep his job. Doesn't seem like he has any real incentive to risk it. 
to go out there and say these other teams are putting everything on the line to try and win a Super Bowl, and you're hoping that you get hot at the right time and your team can flip that switch week 16 and you're all healthy and hot and you go into the the postseason. I don't think Mike McCarthy's going to be there because he just is the least inspiring person that you can listen to. Everything he says, I just there's no impact, there's no emphasis on the rookies you draft. There's no, we don't need the our guys are old enough. CeeDee Lamb, that veteran CeeDee Lamb and and Tony Pollard and Jake Ferguson, those veterans don't need playing time. Dak Prescott is a is an is an all pro player because the top quarterbacks don't go. He's a pro bowler every year. It's nonsense. And Dan Quinn is a guy that makes his defense play an elite level. And if you wonder why the defense can play an elite level and the offense can't, I'm going to lead you to a number one example. The guy on top doesn't make anybody really focus. I think Dak Prescott's a better leader than Mike McCarthy. So if you want to get rid of him too, I don't know what that team would be. We're going to take a break. We come back. We'll talk a little, get a little MLB update. We'll talk about USC. Uh, on the number eight on the Horn Top 20 countdown. We'll read some more of your texts. Chan, I know, I know I'm being, I'm trying to apply logic to the Cowboys, and that's a that's a losing battle. We'll read some more of your texts. What's the best nickname of a Longhorn this year is the poll of the day. If you got any nicknames for me, whether they're real or not, if you got a really good one that we haven't had yet, send that one in as well. We'll be right back here on the Sports Complex on the Horn, 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app, and at hornfm.com. Sports Complex, afternoons 5 to 7. Hell yeah! On the horn. Wait, wait just a minute. Wait, wait just a minute. Before you go walking out my door, won't you wait? Back on the Sports Complex, playing waiting songs as we get ready. For some big games coming up this weekend, USC versus San Jose State. It's going to be on the Pac-12 Network. So if you don't have it, you may have to end up at a bar, and we want you to sound smarter. If you end up at a bar this weekend, watching, just trying to watch some college football, you're watching USC. If you want to sound a little bit smarter about USC, here's Ian Rodby from the morning, 6 to 11, right here. Hook him up with Ian Rodby uh, every weekday morning. Here's him talking about number eight on the Horn Top 20 Countdown. USC. Hey, you know what? It's time for some college football chatter. Let's dive in. It is number eight in our countdown on our way to number one. It's a pretty awesome fight song. The Trojan I mean, You have Army. to admit that it's a pretty awesome fight song. Yeah, like you said, it'll start. It's got a great intro and everything. The lead up is it's just fantastic. All right, USC. Are they too low at eight? It might be higher. We had Pete Futak earlier in the week, and he's picking them to play in the college football playoff at the end of the year uh, and be the winners of the Pac-12 conference. They've got to be better on defense, but they do have Caleb Williams. Who's the best quarterback in the country? And some are saying the best mm. prospect for the NFL 
Since, in a generation. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's Patrick Mahomes comparisons yep. as for his ad libability, his arm strength, his uh athleticism. The Longhorns ran into uh Caleb Williams when he was a freshman when Texas was beating the heck out of Oklahoma. Up by it was the greatest comeback. Or I say the it was the worst collapse, not greatest comeback, worst collapse in Texas football history. It was the greatest comeback for Oklahoma. I think the second greatest comeback for Oklahoma, actually. Uh, yes, it was. It's our and, second uh, greatest. Yeah. You know, there was a fourth down play when Caleb Williams, the true freshman, came on the field, and the Longhorns were going to blow Oklahoma off the field if they yeah. stop him on fourth down. Yep, and he runs a sixty. Was it sixty yeah. like yards? A QB, QB sneak. Yeah, it was on. It, it was on. A, it was like a fourth yeah, and one. And the Longhorns brought the blitz. Fourth and one. Yeah, and, and they brought and, and who was it? There was a safety that missed the tackle. I think it was Jaren. I, I might have been Jaren Thompson. I think Thompson. it might have been Jaren. A young Jaren Thompson. Thompson. It was a young Jaren Thompson. He juked him in the hole, and yeah. he was the safety, and he so there was, was no last line him. of defense. And when he juked him, he was gone. I remember, and that I changed was, everything. I was in the press box, and the, the, I mean, if they stop him here, it's over. Because we sit next to a bunch of Oklahoma guys, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, they got him. I mean, well, he was he was stuffed. I want to say they, they were on like the Texas thirty something. You yeah, know what I mean, yeah, they're, like, on they're, 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 they're on thirty yeah, Texas something. Already up big. They're on they're on thirty something, and Texas could have got the ball back, and basically would have been they would have right. at least got a field goal, probably a touchdown. Yeah. That was the overtime loss, right? Yes. Oh, and case again, and obviously Caleb Williams was unbelievable from that point on. Spencer Rattler never played again. Not at Oklahoma. Yeah. Because Texas had, got, Texas had gotten the lead because they had rattled Spencer Rattler. Before. It, no, PK's game plan was too good. Too good. If, if his game plan wasn't as good for Spencer Rattler, Spencer Rattler would have stayed in the game. They'd have beat Oklahoma. His game plan was so damn effective, it made Spencer Rattler look discombobulated and lost. And then that's when Lincoln Wright decided, man, we got to bench you. And then you put in Caleb Williams, who basically PK couldn't come up with a game plan for. That wasn't enough sample size of film. For you to break down a game plan, so it was a brilliant strategy by Lincoln Riley that won him that game. Well, and remember, he, uh, I mean, a lot of fifty-fifty balls he just threw up, uh, and oh, you know, Marvin Mims and those guys made yeah. great catches, and uh, you know that was a heartbreaking loss for Texas in year one for Steve Sarkeesian. That was the worst loss in Steve Sarkeesian's career. It had yeah, to be. Yeah, they had that game, and, I mean, yeah. and Caleb Williams became. And now you, you know, when that was happening at the Cotton Bowl, you were like, well, "Who's this guy?" Uh, mm-hmm. Now you know, okay, he's Caleb Williams. He's the Heisman Trophy winner. He needs going to try to become the first back-to-back winner since Archie Manning. And Rod yep. Sark did lose to Kansas. Oh, yeah, he did. So, No, did he? Yeah, for year one. He did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. We tend to forget but, about that. No, no, I agree, but I, I, I still say the Oklahoma one was worse, just the way it went down. The, I see, the, yeah, I get that. The Kansas loss was bad, but you lost to Kansas already before. Ain't like a program you ain't <laughs> lost to Kansas before, unfortunately. So it wasn't something that shocked us. We were like, well, I lost to Kansas before because <laughs> Charlie lost to Kansas. So I think that Oklahoma loss was worse because of the way it happened. Though You were up four touchdowns. And they went to a freshman backup <laughs> quarterback, and he torched you. In your, to your rival. It's your rival. It's your rival. Well, can I tell you about USC at number eight right now? <sighs> Sorry to relive that, guys. My this bad. is only the second time in Lincoln Riley's seven seasons as a head coach, Oklahoma now USC, where he has had his quarterback back for a second year. Oh, say that again? It's only the second time in seven seasons as a head coach that Lincoln Riley will return his starting quarterback. Baker Mayfield was the other one, but only the seventh time. Uh, only Did the he return time. Spencer Rattler? No. Remember, that was the year after Jalen Hurts. Okay. Left I thought Spencer Rattler started a year for him. No. It was uh, Jalen Hurts came in, um, and then Spencer came in. This is what it says. It says it's only the— I think Spencer Rattler— yeah, he played. He played Spencer Rattler played the year before. I think yeah, he started— Counting him as getting benched as he wasn't a returning starter. 
Okay, I would say, yeah, you can give it because Spencer Rattler actually high. played. He was that, your projected number one pick. Yeah, so I'm saying, exactly. Season. So Spencer Rattler played under Lincoln You're Riley right. for a long You're time because right. he was projected to be number one pick. So I don't know. It depends on how, how I you got to look at the that. depth chart and yeah. how it played out. But, that, you know, Baker Mayfield came back. Uh, he was there a couple years for yeah, Lincoln uh, Riley. Yeah, Spencer Rattler had 11 games he started in 2020. Okay. Uh, yeah. A COVID year. Yeah. How soon so maybe we forget. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so exactly. soon we forget. Yeah. Uh, but yes, the uh, the Caleb Williams, the focal point of the offense, and the the argument on defense, Rod, is the defensive transfers, including the Georgia defensive lineman Bear Alexander. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's at USC. That was a big, big nil nil move there too. I remember this. Oklahoma State linebacker Mason Cobb uh, has come in. They got a bunch. You know, on that front seven, they've got a bunch of transfers because mm-hmm. they know they got to play better defense, especially against a team like Utah if they're going to. You know, run the table in the in the uh, in the Pac-12. Yeah, you're talking about fit, basically what has been proven to be the Achilles' heel of this particular Lincoln Riley coach team is the defense, and really it's tackling on defense. As you pointed out, e they actually are really opportunistic. They actually are one of the leaders in takeaways in the country defensively. But when teams decide to just run the football, play bully ball, run downhill on oh, I'm sorry, Oklahoma on USC, uh, they couldn't stop them. They could, they literally couldn't tackle. Their opponents. Remember the tight ends from Utah and how silly they made uh, USC well, that's look. Dalton tackling? Kincaid too, and Dalton Kincaid was the first round pick of the Bills. That's true. Very true. Good player, but you're right. Their defense. I go to the Tulane game. Tulane's <laughs> another example. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's another example of it. Trojans were plus twenty two in the turnover margin. They were really good. Plus twenty two. And they with forced, an offense like that, they plus they forced twenty nine turnovers last year. Yet when they actually had to stop somebody and play defense, they were eighth worst in the FBS in yards allowed per play, ninety mm. fourth in scoring defense for Alex Grinch. That is yes, that that to me is their biggest issue is the fact that they just give up way too many chunk yardage plays, and it's based off just bad fundamental tackling, in my opinion. They clean up their tackling, and they continue to be an opportunistic defense. Honestly, it's not going to be a lot to keep USC from competing for the college football playoff. I he solves that. those that issue. He really they just they really don't have a lot of flaws other than the most obvious one, the Shakespearean one, which is tackling on defense specifically. Epidemic. Yeah, the most, <laughs> the, the, right, the most rudimentary part of defense, but they're not good at it. As far as the schedule, you know, to win a national championship or play for one, you got to have a schedule that's favorable. They start with San Jose State. They're going to play Saturday. Our number eight team in our countdown will play this weekend. They're going to play San Jose State. Then they'll play Nevada. Then they'll play Stanford September 9, and then they're mm. open. So three games, they should win all three. And then the open day ahead of a trip to Arizona State, a trip to Colorado to play Deion Sanders and the Buffaloes. They've got Arizona at home. They go to Notre Dame October 14th, Rod, uh, under the Golden one. Dome. That'll be a heck of a ball That'll game. Be a tough one. Big-time national marquee game. Utah, who beat them up twice last year, they're coming to L.A. on the 21st. They go to Cal. They host Washington, which That's obviously a becomes one. a huge game. They go to Oregon. That's another tough one. November 11, they host UCLA, and then they're open the final weekend of the regular season. So they got four games, in my opinion, are basically going to determine the season uh, at Notre Dame. Um, the Utah is, is interesting because it depends on the Cameron Rising situation. We don't know what Cameron Rising situation. By then, he should be with should the be team. should be back October 21. Exactly. He should be back with the team by then. But by then, we don't know what Utah's season looks like because they got a tough start to the season. That may be without a Cameron Rising. But then that Washington game, and then they, that uh, Washington game, that UCLA game, and yes. that Oregon game. Those four are pretty much it. I guess you can throw Utah in there if Cameron Rising is going to be back. I mean, that's pretty much the season. I don't see them really having many other threats uh, or impediments to them reaching the Pac-12 championship. But those five games will tell you everything you need to know. That's it.
Uh, and the and that's trans- later on in the season, too. That's not it even – right, that starts late in the season for them. Well, in an effort to improve the tackling and the defense, they went after their front seven. They got in, they brought in Kion Byer, Bars from Arizona. Mm-hmm. They got a guy, guy named Jack Sullivan from Purdue and Bear Alexander, the Georgia transfer. They also uh, brought in Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M, a guy named Jamil Muhammad from Georgia State. Uh, they're just – they're loading up uh, through the portal, and we know USC, like Texas, is very – uh, wealthy when it comes to that, the mm-hmm. ability to do it, and you know it's uh, it's USC and and Lincoln Riley have one job in the offseason. Can you fix your run defense? Can you fix your run defense? If you can, and your team is still per- forcing turnovers, if, uh, if you can combine a, a solid run defense rod with a team a team that forces turnovers with that with offense, that offense, yeah. You'll be hard to beat. Uh, there'll be a college football playoff contender uh, if that is the case. And Lincoln Riley, I mean, you know, other Longhorn fans are happy. Lincoln, they don't have to face Lincoln Riley anymore. I'm mean, talking about one of the greatest starts to a head coaching career ever. Yeah, like in the history of college football. That's what we're witnessing right now, and that's been with what we have been able to track throughout the years has been, you know, kind of a character, a, a coaching, a coaching character flaw, which is his defenses struggle early on. And then he has to fix the defense. He brings in uh, a, a system that is quarterback friendly, and he may be the best quarterback whisperer, quarterback nurturer in all of college football. And tap throw into that also top five play caller, play designer in the game too. But everywhere that he's been, it seems like the defenses have deteriorated or they've struggled. So he's got to find a way to fix that. Did it at Oklahoma at least to a certain extent, not to make them a college football playoff contender so he didn't do it enough. Hopefully he's learned some lessons and now he can apply those at USC. Yeah, agreed. All right, they are certainly a, a contender. And we have them at eight. That may be a little bit too low. Uh, for where they can be if they if all those transfers do, you know, bring the defense back to where it can be. Again, he doesn't have to be great. Doesn't have to be great, Rod, because if you're going to get Patrick Mahomes comparisons, Patrick Mahomes doesn't need a great defense. He's got to have a good defense. Yep. Just got to have a good defense. Just don't be weakness. You can't be, be 94. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just don't be a liability and you should be fine. Yeah, you can't be final eight, last eight in yards per play. You can't yeah. be that. Last year you lost games because your defense was just poor. Oh man, porous! It oh. really was. They, they they couldn't tackle. Which hey, we've had the tackling epidemic on the four acres well, before. I think, and so I've I'm seen not some, fingers. Uh, seen some oh, for sure. And you know, there there are those. I mean, Alex Grinch has said, look, we we gave up a lot because we didn't have a lot of good players on defense. We had a lot of good players on offense, and that's why we were able to force the turnovers we did because we were very aggressive. We knew we had to make up for the mm-hmm. lack of top talent yeah. by trying to force the issue. Uh, we we couldn't line up and, and stop good teams. We had to try to take the ball from them, and that that leaves you exposed. I mean, that gives you, you got to take you got to take risks to take the ball away. You take risks. This year, they feel like they place. can be more fundamentally sound, play good defense, and let let Caleb Williams. Is there what are the odds for Caleb Williams to go back to back? Hasn't happened as a Heisman Trophy winner since Archie Griffin in the early seventies. He's oh. the only one, right? Yes, only time it's ever happened. Yeah, the odds. I mean, honestly, right now. The competition for, and there's going to be somebody that comes out of nowhere. Always is somebody that we just don't anticipate being a Heisman finalist. But you got Drake May, who's in that conversation right now, along with Caleb Williams, and that's pretty much it. I mean, we don't have early season. There's not a lot of Heisman hype. Caleb Williams right now. is uh, right now plus five hundred. Yep, which would be back to back. Jaden Daniels, Jaden Daniels, quarterback from LSU, plus nine hundred. Quinn Ewers, I throw Quinn in there. Quinn Ewers is yeah. plus one thousand. Florida State quarterback Jordan Travis is plus 1,200. Bo Nix is plus 1,200. Drake May, Sam Hartman, Michael Penix, Clay Cade Klubnick. 
Yeah. Um. I all all quarterbacks. It's <laughs> all quarterback list. Yeah. I'll ask the uh, the Horn audience here on Ian Rodby. Since he left Oklahoma, like spurned the Sooners. Mm-hmm. Do do, Oklahoma, do Texas fans like Lincoln Riley? No, they don't like. They don't him. like him. No. They don't he, like him because he doesn't know how to cook brisket. <laughs> he does not know how to cook brisket. That's why they don't like and him. he's from Mule Shoe, Texas. What what proud West Texan doesn't know how to cook a brisket? He doesn't. Didn't his parents like go to Texas too? Yeah. Yeah, family that went to UT. I mean, do you, mm. do you feel a little bit better about him because he screwed the Sooners? We just yeah, I guess so. But I'm I'm just glad we don't have to face him anymore, honestly. Yeah, no, that's true. We got the I got so much respect for him and he's like I said, one of the greatest starts to a coaching career in college football history. Let me I'm just glad Texas ain't gotta face him. Let that's, me ask you this, as a defensive and a football theorist that you are, and a and a you know, devout studier of the game. Mm-hmm. What is it that Lincoln Riley does that makes it so difficult to stop? Offensively, he's got great players. Typically, he's got but, great players. But the scheme—it's—it's it's unbelievable the way he schemes guys, not just open but wide open. Yeah, it, it, the, one of the the top things he does, and he says it too: if your system isn't quarterback friendly, you need a new system. Yeah, and that's his first thing. That's why he can have different types of QBs, whether it's a Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts or a Baker Mayfield or now a Caleb Williams. All those quarterbacks—they're very different. Uh, in their approaches. And honestly, the only one that hasn't really worked out for him was Spencer Rattler, <laughs> one of those guys he kind of hand-picked. But I think that's number one. It's a extremely friendly quarterback system, very compatible with the skill set of his QBs. And honestly, it's he's he's one of the 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 air raid uh he's one of the air raid coaches from that, you know, that air raid coaching tree that actually believes in running the football. Like just because you are an air raid coach does not mean you abandon the run. Now we know with Mike Leach that was different, but he's a a different. Uh, he's one of the original air. He's the original air raid mind, and he was a little extreme in his air raid beliefs. <laughs> I mean, he never called. He, this is from his his lips. Mike Leach said he never called the run play. He would only call pass plays. And then he would dog cuss and yell at quarterbacks who would come back to the sideline and wouldn't check to a run play. And what he would basically empower his quarterback to do is if you see uh, the defense and you have the numbers advantage, check to a run play and get us in the right play. That's your job as a quarterback. Yeah. So he was an extremist. But the thing about Lincoln Raleigh is you have all of the advantages of that air raid passing attack, right, which are able to, uh, you know, be able to create space. Where there is none, <laughs> create more space for de- for defenders to have to defend, right? And it's always this old um, old adage, or kind of a it's almost um, kind of a riddle, if you will. Um, how do you defend more space with fewer defenders? And yes, yeah, kind of a trick question, but that's what Lincoln Riley's offense forces you to do: defend more space with fewer defenders. And you're going to be outnumbered uh, or you're not going to have the numbers advantage, but you're also going to tackle those guys one on one in space. And he does a lot of that. So basically with wide alignments, because Garrett Riley's big on this, too, with wide alignments, uh, a lot of uh, freaky passing sets like formations, he will force you to play with a light box or. He'll force you if you if you don't want to play the light box and you want to load the box, then he'll force you to play with light numbers on the outside, defending more space with fewer defenders. So you're going to, have to make that choice with Lincoln Raleigh, and that that really is a choice that ends up being uh, the uh, the death uh, ends up being kind of the death blow to a lot of defenses. They make the wrong choice. There is some USC knowledge for you to get you ready for the weekend. We got to hit this last break. We'll be back for last call right here on the Sports Complex on the Horde. We went over. Went too long. All right, we got to get out of here. Thanks, everybody, for playing along today on the, on the Specs text line. We'll do it again tomorrow. Very short show tomorrow. 
Uh, I believe the pregame for the Rangers starts at 5.30. So it'll be a short one tomorrow, but we'll get you what we can uh, during the half hour we have. Thank you, everybody, for playing along. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being there for us, checking out the horn. We'll have more Longhorns, more Cowboys, all that coming up. We'll be back full show, almost full show on Friday, getting you ready for Vandergrift football as well. But until then, be kind to each other. Take care of yourself. Keep your underwear clean. And we will see you back tomorrow. Short show here on the Sports Complex on the Horn.